All right, you guys. There's a great Christian quote. It's such a mouthful. There's a great Christian quote of our day from a, a man named A.W. Tozer, and you may have heard this before from me, and if you've been to big church, I'm sure you've heard it because it's like Pastor Jeff's favorite reference ever, but this is a quote by this guy named A.W. Tozer, which is just amazing. It's simple, and it's beautiful, and it says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about who is God, what's he like, whatever you own in that moment, that is the most important thing about you. So if when you think about God, your first thought, your main thought is, he's mean, he's mad at me, Um, he's just waiting for me to mess up so he can smack me on the side of the head. One, you're wrong. But two, that's going to define you as being someone who thinks of God as mean, judgmental, only focused on punishment, and that's going to make you feel like you're going to walk through life on eggshells, and you're just always going to be anticipating the next time you get in trouble. And that's no way to live. That's not who we are in God. On the flip side of that, if when you think of God, you think of him as a good father, as a savior and a friend, as a teacher that has more wisdom than you can imagine and he's just waiting for you to ask, then that's gonna define you as somebody who wants to be and knows they are a good kid, a loved son or daughter. It's gonna make you eager to get into God's presence and not reluctant. It's gonna make you hungry to spend time with the Lord, your friend. It's gonna um, encourage you to know that, man, I am saved. Nothing can take away from my salvation. What comes into your mind when you think about God? I hope it's the latter. I hope it's not mean old God, a scary Old Testament God, but Father, Savior, friend. So we've been walking through the book of Nehemiah for the past several weeks, and the great struggle of the people in Nehemiah's day was that they had ignored God. Like, it wasn't that they were thinking wrong about him. They weren't thinking about him at all. And they weren't thinking about him because they weren't spending any time in his word. They weren't spending any time at church. They weren't looking out for each other, which is what the Bible says that we should do, love each other. They weren't praying together or even alone. And they weren't obeying anything that the scripture called them to obey. Instead, they were giving in to peer pressure, which you can all relate to. And because they gave in to peer pressure, it hurt them. And we've discussed that for the last several weeks. It wasn't God punishing them per se. It was just God saying, I warned you about these things because they have consequence. Your decisions have consequences. They have fallout. And if you do something good, you can expect this thing to happen as a result. And if you do something bad, you can expect this thing to happen as a result. And they had chosen poorly, and so they had hurt themselves to the very depths of their soul because they didn't pay attention to God, seek God. They not only didn't know whose they were, but they forgot who they were. As a result of ignoring God, they had lost their identity. They didn't know, I am a child of God. I am loved. I got the Lord of Heaven's armies at my back and in front of me. They didn't know any of those things. And because they forgot whose they were and didn't know who they were, they had no idea. And do you have any idea how loved you are? How fought for you are? How and to what lengths 
God has gone to to reconcile you and him. The people in Nehemiah's day specifically, they didn't recognize God's voice and they didn't recognize God's care for them. Do you guys know that the sun came up this morning for you? Do you guys know that um, you were born into a family, whether you love it or hate it or don't understand it, that that's for you, that's for your good, that's God, because God loves you? Everything in your life that you can look at and see the good, that's from the Lord. And there's so much more available to you in life that maybe you don't see the good in, but there's good in there, and that's for you and from the Lord. Recognize God's voice. Recognize God's care. And if you don't, just say, God, help me do that. So as a result of those things, they lost their identity. Deuteronomy 30 is one of my favorite passages of all time. And it says this, children, because that's who we are, not slaves, not you, naughty kids, it's my children. Today, I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. The people in Nehemiah's day had that decision before them daily, you have that decision before you daily, including this day. I command you this day to love the Lord your God. Just love him. Love the Lord your God, your creator, your savior. Love him, keep his commands, his decrees, and his regulations by walking in his ways. Don't just know the right thing, do it. Don't just know you're loved, walk in it. If you do this, you will live and multiply and the Lord God will bless you. But if your heart turns away, if you refuse to listen, and if you're drawn away to serve and worship your own selfish desires, then I warn you right now that you will certainly be destroyed. Today I have given you the choice between life and death blessings and curses. And now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that every single one of us is going to make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice today by just loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This decision, it says, is the key to your life. This decision is why you exist. What are you going to do? You're going to choose Jesus? Are you going to choose the Lord or not? That's it. It's that simple. Why am I here? That's why you're here. Do you know what this verse is really asking though? It's asking what Mr. Tozer referred to in his quote. This verse, this decision before you is asking, whose are you? And therefore, who are you? This year, as with years past, this fall, as with this summer, tomorrow, as with today, every single one of us is going to be asked those questions. Whose are you? Who are you? It's a daily thing. And heaven and earth is looking at me and you, saying, how are they going to answer? How are they going to walk? How are they going to love? I want to give you guys a visual of this question of who are you? And I want to you to pay attention to the man being asked, who are you, and how he responds at first and then finally. Check this out. Rise. Rise.
Your fame is well-deserved, Spaniard. I don't think there's ever been a gladiator to match you. As for this young man, he insists you are Hector reborn. What's it, Hercules? Why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us all your real name? You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. How dare you show your back to me? Slave! You will remove your helmet and tell me your name. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions. Loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. If you don't know the story, I'll just break it down super simple for you for what you need to know for that clip. But the emperor was the one who had killed Maximus's wife and his kid. And then Maximus went into hiding. And when he was asked, who are you? Maximus hid. Bless you. He hid, he hid behind a mask because he was afraid that if he revealed his true identity, he would be killed. And you guys, we do that. We put on masks. We hide who we are out of fear, out of the potential embarrassment that might come or us saying, yeah, I love Jesus. I follow the Lord. I, I read my Bible. It's um, something that we sometimes put on the back burner or just flat out deny. Um, Maximus was scared to, sh to reveal his true identity at first because he was afraid that people would hate him, that the emperor would hate him, that he would be hurt for it. And the same can be true for us. Listen to John chapter 15, 18 through 19. Jesus is speaking here and he says, if the world hates you for being my follower, just remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of this world. I chose you to come out of the world and so it hates you. Jesus 
is promising us that this world will hate us for standing up and doing right and sharing Jesus and speaking truth. But that's okay because we don't belong to this world. We're here for a moment. We're travelers passing through this life. Our eyes are set on heaven and on Jesus Christ. That's whose we are. We don't belong to the world. We belong to something better and bigger and greater. And so, the gladiator, when he was asked, who are you? He did what lots of us do. He tried to stand to the radar at first. He wore a mask, and he, he pretended to be less than what he was. He pretended to be a slave when, in fact, he was a general. He was a commander. He was a leader. How many of us are settling for less in our life, pretending to be nothing, going with the flow? You are royalty in the eyes of Jesus Christ. You are more than conquerors. You're leaders and artists and world changers. Do you know that about yourself? But in the heat of the moment, the gladiator realized something. When he was up against the wall, he acknowledged, my identity is really all that I have. He didn't have anything. He's a slave in his circumstance. He was forced to fight to survive. He had nothing but his identity, and so he owned it. Our identity is all we have. Matthew chapter 16, this is Jesus again. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Lose your identity in Jesus. Is anything worth more than your soul? The answer is no. There's nothing more valuable in this life than your soul, your eternity. We're here for what, 70, 80 years? Eternity is forever, millions, billions of years. Let's define the word identity, whose we are and who we are. Who we are is identity. Here's a definition. Your identity is the beliefs, the qualities that distinguish or identify you, what you believe about God, about yourself, your qualities, that's your identity. What you stand up for, what you own as yours in this life. And it can be the greatest thing you live for is fashion or reputation or being great at the sport, but it needs to be, I am a son, a daughter of God. And therefore, this is how I live my life. Another definition, which I love this caveat, is the condition of being oneself. How are you guys doing? How am I doing in just being who God made you to be? Like some of you guys are weird, right? I'm a little weird, and I like that. I like being different. I like being just who God made me to be. And you're acting like you're like everybody else. You're not. God made you unique. He made you special. Be yourself. The condition of being oneself and not another. As under varying aspects or conditions. Sometimes you're walking in your identity and you're being yourself and you're loving the Lord and you're being your just super freak self and it's great. But then you get around this people or, or this situation and you pretend to be somebody you're not. You're denying your identity. There's nothing more important than your soul, who you are in Jesus. Own it. Be yourselves. As I mentioned, we will all have moments this year where we'll be forced to choose in a variety of circumstances. Am I gonna be God's kid or the world's kid? Am I gonna do things God's way or the world's way? 
Am I going to do the right thing or the wrong thing? What will we do in the heat of the moment? Will we, will we sidestep Jesus and stay quiet? Or will we stand firm, stand up and say, this is who I am. This is what I believe. And we need to know the answer before the opportunity comes. I mean, thank God that he gives us brand new chances at life, at answering this every day, every day. He has oceans of grace for you. If you've made mistakes, as I have made so many, today is a new day. Today you can say yes to Jesus if you said no yesterday. But to underscore the importance, the gravity of what's at stake, because you don't know if you'll be alive tomorrow, and neither do I. Jesus said, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Jesus is warning us. He's trying to get our attention that when you have opportunities to stand up and be Jesus in that situation, to represent I am God's son or daughter, that it's important. There's consequences. There's there's greatness to be had, and we sidestep it. What will we do this year when opportunity knocks? What will you do when you have an opportunity this year in your house or at school or on your street to put someone else first the way the Bible calls us to? Will you put someone else first, or will you be like, I want the best for myself? Will you stand up for the oppressed? Will you step in when you see a friend or, or a stranger being bullied or somebody that needs a coat or some socks? Will you help or will you take care of yourself? Will we pray for people in the moment if somebody shares, my grandmother is sick, my best friend took their life? Will we say, can I pray for you? Can I listen to you? Or will we just say, that's too bad? Will we resist temptation? Because we know if we give in, it's hurting us. Will we have the hard conversation with our friends and call them, not, not call them out, hey, you're bad, but call them up. Hey, man, there's better for you. There's better for me. And at the heart of those sorts of circumstances, this question exists every time. Whose are you? And the scripture's already declared that heaven and earth is watching. And like the crowd, what I like to witness the crowd as in that scene was, that's like heaven. They're yelling out. Angels are crying out. Live, live, live for Jesus. You might feel alone in your circumstance, but all heaven is watching you and cheering you on to do the good thing and the right thing, even if it hurts. And the gladiator answered well when he was asked, who are you? Even methodically, like as a recipe, he answered well. He gave his name, Maximus, Decimus, Meridius, and he said it like he meant it. What's your name? No, what's your name? Say it like you mean it, Marshall Hunt. Say it like you mean it. That's right. You're Marshall Hunt, and I'm proud to know you. He gave his title. I'm the commander of the northern armies. He didn't assume the title that everybody else thought about him, slave. He said, I'm the commander of the northern armies. What's your community? I'm the general of the Felix legions. I do life with these guys. Where's your allegiance? I am a loyal servant of the true king, not just a servant, a loyal servant of the true king. And then he said his purpose, which sadly was vengeance. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. 
Our purpose isn't vengeance. Our purpose isn't revenge against the things that happen to us in this life that are wrong or the people that wrong us. That's up to the Lord. Our purpose is to walk with humility and know I'm God's son. I'm, I'm God's daughter. I don't need to take it to revenge myself because Jesus paid the price. So what's your purpose in this life? His was vengeance. And that's not going to end well for him. And it didn't at the end of the movie. What's your purpose? The key to our life is to own our identity as God's kids. And after 70 years of suffering, suffering because they had no identity, the people of Nehemiah finally decided we're going to own our identity. They went 70 years of just hurt and pain and misery because they wouldn't acknowledge, I'm God's kid. He wanted better for me than this. And when they finally did, God blessed them. He didn't bless them 70 years afterward. The minute they turned and said, God, we want to be your kids again. Take us back. He took them back. And immediately, he gave them community. He gave them protection. He gave them freedom. He gave them wisdom. He gave them influence. He gave them purpose. Are you lacking any of those things in your life? Do you need community? A place to be known? Do you need to be protected from temptation or tough circumstances? Do you need freedom or wisdom or purpose? Those things are all waiting for you if you will just commit yourself, love the Lord, obey what he says, he will give you all those things and more. The people of Nehemiah also, after receiving and during receiving those things, they understood and they accepted that being God's kids will cost you something. Being God's kid will cost you something. You guys may remember from two weeks ago, I shared the passage from Matthew 11 that said, Jesus said, come to me. He's inviting all of you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Anybody in here weary, tired, carrying around burdens of sin and shame and guilt? He's calling to you and he's saying, come to me and I will give you rest. Are you exhausted trying to live two lives at the same time? Come to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. God's not hard and mean. He's humble and gentle at heart. That's the kind of person I want to go to when I'm hurting. When I've messed up, because I know I'm not going to get slapped, I'm going to get a hug. He's humble and gentle at heart. And if we come to him, he says, gives us rest. And he says, my yoke. Do you guys remember the yoke we had? My yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. If you're struggling, if you're wrestling, if you're having a hard time carrying other people's expectations and trying to run from that guilt or that shame from that thing, give it to the Lord. That's his burden. He says, give it to me. That's the burden. And then walk in my ways. I got a picture of my kids here. This is from this week when I was leaving work. Sometimes they just latch on to me and don't let me leave and it makes it even harder to come to work. But there's Charlotte, seven years old, Wyatt with his toothless awesomeness at five. And that's them hugging me at the front door before I left for work on Tuesday. And I call my kids the Ulmer Bears. I don't know why. Bears is just stuck, but we're just called the Ulmer Bears. I'm an Ulmer Bear, Brooks an Ulmer Bear, and so are my kids. And here's what it costs my kids to be Ulmer Bears. Here's what it costs them to be my kids. This is how I am raising them to be Justin and Brooks' children, children of the one true king. To be my kid, to be an Ulmer Bear, 
you don't get to lie. It costs my kids something to be my kids, and it's this, no lying. You don't get to lie if you're an Ulmer Bear. If you're an Ulmer Bear, you don't leave people out. Little circles of friends, even at five and seven years old, everybody wants to do this over here and leave this one guy out or leave this group of kids out. My kids aren't allowed to leave other people out. My kids are inclusive, not exclusive. It costs my kids this to be my kids. They don't get to hurt people, which is even a challenge this morning as my son has brought his baton that he loves and he's whacking people and I think I saw him get you, Marshall. Are you okay? Do I need to pray for healing for you right now? You gonna be all right? My kids take care of each other. They are each other's first responder, just like we are to them. They take care of each other. If you wanna be my kid, it means you share. It means you serve. It means you say you're sorry, and you're the first to say you're sorry. And it means you say, I forgive you, and you don't hold grudges. Those are some of the things that I expect, that I'm impressing upon my kids to be my kids. Don't lie, don't leave people out, don't hurt others. Take care of each other, share, serve, say you're sorry first and always say, I forgive you. Why do my kids do what I say? Because they know that I love them. Because they know that I am for them. I had to give both my kids spankings on Friday and I hate it. I hate causing my kids any sort of pain but they needed to be disciplined. They had done wrong, and I had promised them, if you do it again, I will have to spank you. But the beautiful thing about spankings in my house is it's far different from when I got spanked as a kid. When my father spanked me, it was more like slapping or hitting, and it was usually done in anger, and he would just leave, and I would sometimes not even know why the punishment had happened. That's not the case with me, and it's even more not the case with the Lord. He lets us know, this is why. This is what happened. This is the consequence. And when I spank my kids, it hurts because I want them to remember, but it is always followed immediately by me taking them in my arms and holding them and comforting them. Discipline, fast, hard, explained, and then immediately love, affirmation. It's gonna be okay. That's what discipline should look like. My kids know that every spanking will be followed by hugs and love and words of affirmation. And my kids do what I say because they know I know better than them. I know what's best for them. God knows better than us. God knows what's better for you. You might think it's not fair that God won't let me have this, but he knows better. He knows best. Why should we do what God says? For the same reasons, because he loves us, he's for us, and he knows what's best for us. Isaiah 55, my thoughts, the Lord says, are nothing like your thoughts. His, his thoughts are nothing like ours. It says, my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. And just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You guys, God created you. He made you. He made you. He made the planet and he made the universe. Isn't it possible that he knows what's best for us. You read something in the Bible and you're like, I don't like that. He knows best and it's for our good. And we all know obedience feels like suffering sometimes. It's tough to get a spanking or a whooping or grounding or remove a phone or a device. But when you gave God your life by confessing, Jesus, I need you. Father, I want you. When we gave our lives to God, when we were baptized, we were declaring to God, I love you, I trust you, I belong to you, I'll obey you. We like to leave that last one out. I will 
obey you. And sometimes obedience costs us something. I wrote out some examples of some things that you might experience this year. Let's roll through them because in each of these um, circumstances, you will be being asked that deeper question. Will you declare your true identity as these circumstances come upon you this year at school or at home? By reading your Bible every day, it will cost you. It's gonna cost you time. If you read it at school, it might might cost you some reputation. There'll be a cost to reading the Bible. But the fruit, the good that comes, just some of it is that you won't be a slave to foolishness, to silly ideas. You'll be a slave to wisdom. You'll be a slave to right thinking. By putting others first, you will have to pay a price. You'll have to give something up to put others first. And that could be you don't get the best piece of cake or you might not get the best place on the team, etc. But the fruit is that you won't be a slave to selfishness. You'll be a slave to love. Praying with people will cost you something. It'll cost you that awkward feeling of what are they gonna do? Are they gonna receive it? Like, Will God answer? Like, it'll cost you the uncertainty. It'll cost you the, that weird moment of embarrassment as you're like, God, pray for you. Like, it will be weird. It might cost you a little something, but what's the fruit of praying for people? You will not be a slave to just not caring about people. Refusing to cheat, whether on a test or um, in any way that you can cheat on a diet. I don't care, but refusing to cheat means it'll cost you a little harder work, a little longer hours. It might cost you getting passed over for something. But the fruit is that you will not be a slave to the easy road. I know you guys are young and some of you don't have jobs and maybe not even allowance, but bringing the tithe, bringing money and supporting your church and and obeying God when he says give will cost you something. It'll literally cost you something, right? It'll cost you the money in your pocket, It might cost you, you can't buy what you want. But the fruit of it is that you won't be a slave to money. You won't think, if only I had more money, I could do this or solve that. Money is nothing compared to God. We can't serve money and God. That's why God calls us to tithe. That's the root of it. Don't be a slave to that paper. Be a slave to me. By standing up to peer pressure, it will cost you something. It might cost you friends, but I say it might cost you friends. Standing up to peer pressure might humiliate you, might embarrass you, might lose you a bit of reputation, but the fruit is that you will not be a slave to other people's opinions. Don't let other people define you. Let God define you. Let this book define you. And by not being a slave to other people's opinions, you can be yourself, which is special, unique, and amazing. I got another one. Being first to apologize will cost you something. Because you're like, no, they should come to me first. But God is clear. Go to them. Own it. Say you're sorry. Offer forgiveness. By saying you're sorry first, the cost might be, it's going to be hard to admit that you were wrong or that you forgive them. But the fruit is that you won't be a slave to guilt or shame. Those are just some examples. And you probably have others in your life that you're like, this is right. This is wrong. Heaven and earth are watching. What are you going to do? Whose are you? Who are you? Obeying God can be uncomfortable, but discomfort and suffering, the Bible says, tests us, grows us, and proves that we belong to God, and it paves the way to blessings. Romans chapter five says this, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. I believe in you, Jesus. Okay, that's faith. Now you're made right. I give my life to you, Jesus. That's faith. 
Now you're made right. Now we have peace with God. You don't have to be scared of God. You don't have to be intimidated by God. He's for you. He loves you. And because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And we can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. Is that your attitude? It's not always mine. Do you rejoice when tough stuff comes, when hard times come, when challenging situations come? Because the Bible says that's what we should do. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and strength of character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will never lead you to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. You guys, when we know whose we are and who we are, and when other people around us know whose we are and who we are, amazing stuff starts to happen. That's what that's saying. When not just you in your head know I'm God's, I'm God's kid, but it's evident to other people. You're walking it out amazing stuff's gonna happen for you. Back to Nehemiah, we'll wrap up with this verse. Nehemiah 12 says that after the people had suffered those 70 years of not having the Lord, but then still they declared their allegiance to God. They gave their heart to him. They said, we love you, we need you, come. He came. And it says, after he had done all those amazing things we walked through before, he gave them identity, purpose, community. He gave them favor, influence, protection, It says that they were offering many sacrifices on that joyous day for God had given the people cause for great joy. Have you ever experienced great joy? I think it's something we miss. I think we think of joy as like a really good lasagna, right? I think if we think of joy as like a great episode of Grey's Anatomy, right? There's so much more in this life. There is not just happiness, there's joy. There's not just joy, there's like great joy, like beyond what we settle for. And the women and the children, they also participated in the celebration. And the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard for miles. They were celebrating so hardcore because God's love was so evident in their midst that people in towns miles away could hear them yelling for joy. That's what God has for you. That's what he wants to give you. Are you settling for like, oh, that was neat? Because God wants you to holler for joy. If you don't have that, just know it's available. It's close at hand. God blessed them after they had suffered because he knew they would give him credit. They knew whose they were, and so they knew who they were. And we exist to glorify God so that when he blesses us, it's not, oh, that was a coincidence. Oh, that was just something neat that happened, and my grandma gave it to me. If something amazing happens to you, our response should be, praise God. God gave that to me. God allowed for that. I'm so thankful for the Lord that I'm in this family, et cetera. When we know, and God knows, that you're gonna point to him for the good in your life, that you're gonna point to him during the bad in your life, amazing things start to happen. We're gonna respond to our sermon. Bailey and Esther and the crew are gonna cruise up here. And we're just gonna take a few minutes to write out some prayers. So you guys grab the pen and paper underneath your seat, and I'm going to walk you through some things to pray for. But at the heart of this sermon is identity. 
Whose are you and who are you? And the Bible is clear in Romans in another place where it says it is by believing in your heart that you are saved and it is by publicly declaring that you believe. So it's not just a silent prayer inside of yourself. God is saying, let people know. I want you to let people know. I want you to write out a prayer. I want you to write out some words of personal identity and we're gonna pray our way through this. And you can keep it you can take a shot of it and put it on social media. You can tell it to a friend or you can bring it up here and leave it and I will be your witness. But I want you to own whose you are this morning with conviction, with a loud, I am Marshall Hunt. Don't write Marshall Hunt. You can write Marshall Hunt. I want you to own who you are and whose you are this morning. I put up a little list and I'm gonna pray us through this real fast and we're just gonna give you some time and space to just consider these things. And maybe you know your name. That would be a good place to start. Who do you belong to? What's his name? How do you think of Jesus? You can write that down. Maybe you just, it's Jesus. Maybe it's friend. Maybe it's savior. Maybe it's Lord of heaven's armies. How do you like to refer to God? He's got a lot of beautiful names. You'll write that down. What's the main reason that you belong to the Lord, the king of heaven's armies? Because he saved me. Because he loves me. Because um, he answered that prayer because I know that I'm going to hell without him. You, what's your reason? What's your thing? What's on your heart today? Write it down. Own it. And, and knowing whose you are, then declare and write out who you are. What is your name? What community do you belong to? Maybe you write out just the names of your small group or Woods Edge Student Ministry. Or if you're a guest here, you write your other church. But who are your people? Acknowledge that. Recognize that. Thank God for that. I love my parents. Or help me love my parents. What's your purpose? Why are you on this earth? I'll give you a hint. It lives in Matthew 5.13, that verse that we've been looking at for weeks. To be salt and light. To bring out the God flavors of this earth. To shine. Not to be hid under a bed. And finally, how do you fulfill your purpose? And if you don't know the answer to this one, maybe you ask God this morning, but like, how have you wired me, Marshall? How have you wired me, Emma, to make God known? Are you a servant, a loyal servant? Are you an artist for Jesus? Are you a leader? Are you an athlete for, for Christ? If you don't know, ask him. He'll tell you. He'll put it on your heart. It'll probably be bigger than you can imagine. It'll probably be beyond you. Own it. I'm gonna pray you guys just walk your way through these questions just between you and Jesus. Lord, we've come to the most important part of the sermon where we respond to what we've heard. We want to know who you are. We want to know who we are. And so we pray with boldness and confidence. We expect an answer. Will you give us the words as we respond today? How can we picture you today? What beautiful, amazing attribute of you do you want to impress upon us afresh today? Savior, protector, leader, teacher, all of the above. Speak those things to us. Speak our purpose to us. Speak our identity to us. Lord, open our hearts and minds to hear and to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys take a few minutes, walk your way through there, and then I'll get back up and wrap us up. If you're still writing, just kind of tune me out, hear me in the back of your mind, but we're gonna to respond to the sermon now as a, as a group. 
This was our individual response to the Lord, but now we're gonna respond collectively. And we have our offering boxes on top of the speakers here. And if you have a job or get an allowance and you don't know what tithing is all about, I'll tell you more if you wanna come talk to me about it. But man, acknowledge that God comes first. Bring the tithe, support the work of your church and set yourself free from depending on, on paper more than the Prince of Peace, right? We have communion available this morning. Just our reminder of what all Jesus did for us. He allowed his body to be broken. He shed his blood for us. He saved us from certain sin and death. We've been rescued. Let's say thank you for that. We have these prayer cards available. And I'm gonna read it to you one last time, but take this, put it somewhere prominent. Remind yourself of who God is and who he calls you to be. If you've never given your life to Jesus, the answer for how is on this. God's kids choose life, love, and loyalty to the Lord. The scripture says today, right now, and if you're not ready now, tomorrow will be in today too. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses, and now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. And you can make this choice today by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This decision is the key to your life. Jesus, if there's any of us in this room that have never chosen you, chosen that, may we do so today. May we just choose to say, Lord, I want you. I need you. I'm yours. And may we tell somebody about that decision. We love you. Bless our response. Bless our worship as we declare your name, Jesus. Amen. If you wrote something out and you'd like to declare it to, to me or the staff, you can put those in the offering as well. But let's respond like we mean it. All right.